over the course of teaching insight dialogue retreats and uh, reflecting on what was happening in people's uh, experience at retreat, what was happening in their lives, the kind of uh, changes I saw, the kind of insights, the depth of practice that I witnessed. I, I was moved to ask, you know, basically what's going on here? And a, sort of a part of that was, wow, this work is really powerful. What's going on here? Constantly surprised. For years, I have been surprised. And uh, what floated up out of the kind of uh, sea of experiences that I was having and witnessing was that there are certain key uh, elements at work that were consistently a part of the power, the efficacy of the practice. And this uh, coalesced into a pattern, and that pattern I'm presenting to you on this uh, you know, document, this uh, diagram. What I saw is that there's three uh, I call them bases of the work. And each one in and of itself is exceptionally powerful. That's a key point. Any one of these by itself is capable of, of bringing about meaningful transformation of, of one's mind, of one's life. And that working together with others, uh, you know, with one of the other bases, then there's a synergy where that gets even stronger. And then what's happening, I'm suggesting a way of understanding what's happening. This is not a fact, this is just a way of understanding. Is that insight dialogue is what arises when all three of these bases are present, not just two of them. And as such, it uh, seems to have emerged as a useful way of thinking about what is insight dialogue and what is not, and also as a way of understanding the practice, why it's so powerful, and a way of considering how is my practice going, or as a facilitator or as a teacher, um, what is needed now for this group or this particular retreat or something like that. I didn't plan on making uh, some kind of structure that would serve those purposes. I was just saying, what's going on here? But that seems to be what's, what's emerged out of that process. So just to walk you through them really quickly, and that if there's questions, we can talk about it later, because I think you'll get the basic idea, and then we'll just see where it goes. Let's just talk first about the power of meditative qualities of the mind. These are 
qualities that when developed in and of themselves affect positive change in deep, deep ways. The one that gets the most press, of course, is mindfulness with good cause. It's a, it's a powerful factor, can be a powerful factor just by itself when developed in our lives. Now, absent a lot of other things, it's, it's going to lack, it's, it's not going to reach its full potential for freeing the mind. But it's still going to have some real strong benefit, and that's what we're seeing in all of the mindfulness-based initiatives that are everywhere. But when mindfulness works with other factors like concentration, equanimity, inquiry, you know, investigation of phenomena, when it works together with tranquility, joy, energy, then mindfulness itself becomes more powerful. But all of these meditative qualities of the mind were named by the Buddha uh, that I've been talking about, were named by the Buddha under the factors of awakening. So I take that as a well-tested, thousands of years tested framework for the cultivation of liberative mental qualities. Those qualities in and of themselves, if highly developed, will change you in a positive way. I'm taking that as a fact. Dhamma, wisdom. There are certain types of understanding, knowledge, ways of understanding the human experience that, again, in and of themselves are transformative. If someone says to you, you don't have to meditate, but just go observe impermanence all the time in your life, and you go watch, you just watch, it will change you. It will change you. It will free you from all kinds of grasping. And depending on how deep you go in your investigation of just impermanence, it's like, wow, you can really go far. If you look at, okay, let's just take another one of those basic things like suffering. What is the nature of suffering? And again, you contemplate it deeply and continually it will take you very far, or questioning the self-structure, or if investigating things like a clinging, when the mind lands on something and holds on to it. And all you do is observe that, think about that. What is clinging? What am I clinging to? And, what are, and you then, let's say, you go deeper in that teaching. Well, there's clinging to views, clinging to self, clinging to rites and rituals, you know, and you you take the, the next layer of Dhamma teaching on clinging and you really look at that and it becomes a framework that you overlay on your life. You say, okay, just that piece of wisdom is going to take you somewhere. Another one experienced often at inside dialogue retreats like ours is tanha, hunger, thirst, craving. And if you just start looking for the urges and especially if you have the guidance to look for the hunger for sensual pleasure, the hunger for becoming and the hunger for non-becoming, and you just have that piece of knowledge, that piece of that viewpoint, and you start looking at things and you study it, you, you reflect on your life in that framework, 
It's going to change you in profound ways. You'll see how you're constantly fabricating yourself and, and, and urging and, and driven by these urges to escape, to get out, to become, and so on. So that's Dhamma. Right? And that, that by itself is powerful. Now, to take a classical combination, if you put together Dhamma and meditative qualities of the mind, well, when the mind gets really mindful and concentrated and then looks at impermanence or then looks at clinging or, or craving, wow, you, now you're talking about the classical Buddhist framework of formal practice. And it's, 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 uh, has astonishing liberative depth. So let's take the third base, the base of relationship, which is unique in a certain way. And that is the power of relationship is undeniable. The power for, for good, for, for pleasure, for altruism, for compassion, for interest and energy and you know, uh, um, wholesome ethical behavior. You know, it's all built on uh, how we relate. And yet, relationship is also manifests as a power with extreme negative uh, qualities as well, as we see in war, anger, adversary, legal systems, uh, you know, all sorts of self-sustaining systems of greed, which, you know, uh, define many businesses, not all, but most, and so on and so forth. So relationship is a strong factor in terms of how it changes you, affects you, the quality of your friendships, the quality of your primary intimate relationships, the quality of your relationships with teachers, if you have some, or of people who influence you positively or negatively. Political influences are relational influences, and they can lead to tremendous war, hatred, and so on. So now we can look at Let's take relationship and look at it and, you know, as it might synergize just with wisdom. Well, we investigate together uh, impermanence. We investigate together craving. We investigate together, you know, and we, and we can see that there's a possibility of diving down, of staying with it when we would not otherwise stay with it, of getting other people's ideas and input and experience on it, and of playing off each other to go down into it, and also in relationship of reminding each other just to, oh yeah, right, that's why we're together. We're together to investigate the nature of this experience. And so we, we do that. We support each other. It's the kind of the community, like study group. It's like a study group. It's like the archetype of combining relationship and wisdom. But when study group becomes, of course, real, you know, like, like this life, not just intellect. Okay, so fine. Good, good, some good synergies there. And, and wisdom contributes to relationship in obvious ways, you know, in terms of the wholesomeness of the relationship and the, how the clinging and hungers are known and can be released in the relationships. And relationship contributes to wisdom. And likewise, relationship and the meditative qualities. So we can, just the two of us, cultivate mindfulness. Just the two of us develop our concentration 
or the quality of investigation, energy, and so on. And this can be sort of like insight dialogue without the Dhamma. So you can just develop, you know, to a high degree, certain states, meditative states, meditative qualities, and that can deepen the relationships, and that can then further deepen the meditative qualities. But without the Dhamma to guide it, who knows where it's going to go? How, how, how deeply will it penetrate in the heart? How, how well will it stay on the rails of uh, sanity, let alone um, really freeing the heart? can create a lot of attachment. You have these blissful states and you say, oh, now it's, you know, you don't have any sense of clinging and craving. You don't have any orientation around the ethical aspect, which is built into the Dhamma. And who knows what's going to happen? You know, you and I could be having sex in the back room in a, in a minute because it's, it's nothing to stop that, right? There's no, you don't have the ethical basis, but you also don't have the observation of your own grasping because you don't have the framework. All you've got is meditative qualities and relationship, which are powerful, but who's to say where they go, right? And it can become even this power, which is transmissible and replicable, and you know, you guys could just all go out and do what I just did. You couldn't do it very well, but over time maybe you would learn to, you know, but if you didn't have the Dhamma behind you, for sure, it would, get, it would go off the tracks. There's just no question about it. So, um, but when, there to, when we do have the you know, uh, understanding that meditatives and relationships together is powerful, relationship and wisdom together, powerful, wisdom and meditatives together, that was the first one we did, that's the classical Buddhist, individual Buddhist path, so now we can just have enough to say, what happens when you put all three together? You understand, right? When you're explicitly developing mindfulness, concentration, you're explicitly developing investigation, cultivating energy, joy, equanimity, tranquility. You bring in the relational to really deepen those, so this is now the guidelines. The meditative qualities are carried by the guidelines. So pause is mindfulness. Relax is tranquility, concentration, right? and so on. So the uh, strength of that now, of our developing these meditative qualities of the mind together, and we're really amplifying that with the power of relationship. We're really supporting each other in, you might say, touching and remaining with the concentration. So when we touch what's between, we touch this inquiry, or we touch the, relative, the fact of relatedness itself, and we're both looking at it. We're both saying, wow, this is like, wow. You know, and you're right there with the mindfulness and the, and the you know, open, it's well-established, so it's both. It's got that quality of both. And we're, we're really staying with it. And the mind gets so stable there. The sati is unbroken. I don't know if you've experienced this, but you go on, you know, inside dialogue retreat, 
you can just have sati that just goes on forever. It's, it's mindfulness that goes on forever. It's incredible. And that's because it's sustained by relationship. Now, it's in that field of the strong mindfulness, the strong concentration, the investigation together into experience, it's into this container that you put the seed of the Dhamma and you say, let's look at our experience here. And now that the Dhamma just naturally becomes real. It naturally moves through your body. Because right? if you're really practicing with true mindfulness, then you don't get lost in intellect. You don't get lost in emotion. Because emotion is just a body-mind phenomena at that point. That doesn't mean that emotion doesn't happen, but there's no attachment. And there's no kind of getting fooled by it. And you have a reference point in the Dhamma. What is the nature of self, not self? You know, you, you have your contemplations that are guiding you through this incredibly complex human entanglement. We are entangled. The purpose of this practice is disentangling the tangle and being free. And this is the power of this is, I, I believe that this helps explain, it isn't anything, it's just an idea, but I believe it helps explain the power of this practice to disentangle. Because the Dhamma is like a kind of just a, a schema that is an overlay on actual experience. It happens to simply be a brilliant schema. It's just a schema. It's not truth as such. So in that sense, you can say, okay, it's not Buddhist. But in every other sense, it's Buddhist, because that's, that's the source. That's the Dhamma source, All right? Which then answers questions like, is this Buddhist? Well, it's resting in the Buddha Dhamma. I don't care if you call it Buddhist or not, but the religious notion of Buddhism, if that freaks people out, fine. Just say it rests in the Buddha's teachings and don't call it Buddhism. But to say it's not connected with the Dhamma is an absurdity. Yes, and this makes it explicit and shows how intrinsic relationship is that, that the experiences that I was talking about oh, it's quite yeah I it's see, quite it, explicit yeah it is quite explicit yeah, yeah, it's good. yeah. so uh, that's the basic idea and then just to point out that there's another thing that falls out from this that really surprised me it actually this is kind of you know a thing in information design but I had this concept before I had the diagram. The diagram came later. Created the diagram, and I'm looking at the diagram, and I knew about these overlaps, you know, between the major areas, but I had completely ignored, um, you know, uh, like what this could teach me about, you know, these. Uh, smaller areas about what was what the effects might be if one of them is missing. I didn't even think about it. 
And then it just all started to kind of come and pour out like fruit out of a cornucopia. You know, it was just like, wow. It's just like, you know, the hen that was laying golden eggs so, <laughs> or something like that. But, um, but I didn't, I hadn't even thought about what was missing when you just develop one of them, let alone what was missing when you just develop two. I was only thinking of the positive synergies. And it just explains so much. Because like you can see that there's, for example, meditation groups that are primarily focused on just developing meditative qualities. And the communities, like no community. You go there, you sit, you go away. And there's not even Dhamma offered. And then there's some that are just Dhamma, very, can get very heady. Um, and then there's just studying Dhamma by yourself, which is harder to do. So that doesn't even have the advantage of relationship in studying the Dhamma. But without the meditation being strong, Dhamma is a mind game. you know. And of course, there's plenty of groups that are mostly centered around relationship. Like, let's get together, tea and cookies, this is great. Let's uh, just support each other, which is great stuff. It's essential stuff. It's powerful stuff. But it's not going to free you. It's going to make it a little easier to get through life, which is also useful. But if we're looking at our purpose, which is disentangling the tangle, it's not meeting the purpose. You've got to have the wisdom element, and then you've got to have the meditation quality that just drops it down into the actualities and gives it power, gives your inquiry power, and, and, and uh, 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 there's a kind of a enduring uh, quality and a lot of courage that comes with deep practice. Um, and when, that, when, you, when you lack courage, when you lack clarity, maybe your partner, your meditation community members have support for you. And when they lack it, you have it. And the sense of spiritual friendship gets really beautiful, really powerful. So that's the, that's the overall idea. And, um, Can I just say something about that? Yeah. I think right in the middle there, inside dialogue, in and of itself, is an important distinction too for me. Because I've, I'm in a group now that has all three of these circles, including relationship and meditation and wisdom. And without the actual guidelines that you specifically teach, it is implied, and we do get some aspect of an insight dialogue experience in, in that community, but not nowhere near to the depth that I've even got here mm. in the last three days. So I think that in, in and of itself mm -hmm. is a gift. That comes mm -hmm. from right. Well, part of it is that it is explicit, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And there, were, there are plenty of communities that have implicitly some of these pieces and, and that they, they don't bring it together mm. and it doesn't get the sharpness of definition mm. and it doesn't get the skill. Mm. So uh, it's like saying, it's like saying uh, go practice mindfulness, but you're not taught how. Mm. Well, that's a useful thing to go practice mindfulness if you think you know what it is. And then even if you think you know what it is, do you know how to practice it? makes a big difference. Hmm. Yeah. I wanted to say too, I think it's important that it's a dialogue. I think the two people, I know it sometimes enlarges 
for threes or fours. Mm. But part of what I think gives it such incredible power is the two-ness, um, as opposed to your community where relationships are not as focused, I guess. They change, as they did over the last three days. When you're there in it, you're in it. Mm -hmm. Right. But also, if I, if I may, you're fairly early in your learning process. And um, as one's practice gets stronger, and the especially the guideline open, becomes more um, stable and uh, familiar and bright, then uh, you can find a tremendous uh, uh, stability of relational awareness happening, even with a larger group. I should look forward to that. <laughs> good, good, good. That's, that's better than saying, not possible. Yeah. So. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.